that newness of life that you've won for us, you've completed for us on the cross. Help us to live every day more in the light of who you are. Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts this morning as we hear your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take your seats? Amen. I can't tell you, I'm sure you feel it as well, just how encouraging it is to be with other believers here this morning and just to hear the worship behind you and around you as we sing praises to our King and our Lord. Um, How encouraging that is. What a blessing. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bibles or it's on your iPad or your iPhone or whatever electronic piece you have this morning, open up to Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to be in verse 13. Would you join with me as we pray before we get into this message? God, we do praise you for who you are. God, I pray that you may speak to us this morning. May you encourage us, confront us, convict us. God, may you show us your love. God, may you just work and speak through me as I stand before God, a broken man. God, I thank you for your salvation that has come to us. God, I thank you for your word that we have that we can read. God, may you, through your Holy Spirit, just speak to us today. May you give me the words to say, and may you give all of us the hearts to hear and the minds um, just to take in your word. God, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. And it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Growing up in church, I've heard these verses preached a number of ways. Uh, Maybe you have as well. One of them is, you know, this salt, that a Christian is supposed to be salt. And I've heard it preached that a Christian is supposed to be kind of addictive to the world. You eat a potato chip and you want more. And I've, I've heard it preached this way where Christians are supposed to be like potato chips, to where people want to be around you. The, the lost people want to be around you as salt. Although that's just really in our world today, we use salt as an addictive agent in our food. They didn't used to use salt that way. So that's not really a good illustration. Another one is that we need to be salt that's like thrown in the womb and that it should burn the world. There's a cut And the salt, like a Christian, is supposed to sting the world. We're supposed to go out into the world and get after it. And we as salt are supposed to do that. I've heard it preached that way. Although that is not necessarily a good interpretation either because that's not what they used salt for at this time. And I I start out this way because I've heard it taught both ways. And both ways really don't do the text justice. And this is why it's important for us to understand the context and the history of who Jesus was speaking to and what he was speaking about. And so when you see we are the salt of the earth, salt had one purpose back then. And that purpose was to preserve food. That's what they used it for, 
food they didn't have, all the chemicals and all the things we have today, which is a good thing, and they used salt to preserve their meat. And unless the, the meat was in a brine solution or some type of salt, it couldn't be used. So he's speaking to us and he's saying, you are the salt. You are the preserving goodness in the world. And we as Christians going out into the world, the people that come in contact with us, we should be preserving. We should be preserving for eternity because we have the gospel and we're sharing that. And it's through the gospel that they become preserved. So look with me in verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. And this leads us to a mind-blowing first point. I'm going to have a lot of these points today that are just very simplistic. Don't, don't read too much into them. Christians are salt. Right there in the text, right? You really don't need me to tell you these things. Christians are salt. The world is rotting away. It's decaying. And our job is to go into the world, preserve, preserve parts of the world, preserve people for God, for God's glory, using the gospel. But then Jesus gives us a warning. And it says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, critics have used this passage where they say, there it is. Jesus is wrong. He's illiterate. He doesn't understand. He's not educated. We've proven that salt can't lose its taste. It's a fact, okay? Salt can't lose its taste. By its chemical composition, it can't lose its taste. But Jesus is saying if salt loses its taste... There it is. It's wrong. The Bible's wrong. We must close it up. We all need to go home because we just proved it wrong. And that's many times what we hear. But Jesus was far ahead of our science, and that was exactly his point. Salt, if we are Christians, we can't lose our flavor. And that was his point. Even before science confirmed that salt could not lose it, and this leads us to our next point, Don't freak out. Salt is salty. You can write that one down. You're going to talk about it in your connect group. Salt is salty. So there's no such thing, Jesus is saying, as salt that is not salty. Okay? And he calls us salt. We're really going deep this morning, I know. So he says, if it becomes diluted or compromised, it's no longer salt. And if salt is not salty, it's not salty. Salt, right? So he goes on and says, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, Jesus is calling us salt. Salt had one purpose, and it was to preserve. Great. So if it's become diluted or compromised, we can no longer be a preserving agent. And we know that salt can't lose its flavor, and it can't become diluted. So let's keep reading. He gives us another illustration. You, in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Another amazing point. You ready? Light shines. Light shines. And we're going we're gonna to build this together of why Jesus is using this. So definition of darkness, absent of light. He goes on to say, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the household. So summary, called us salt. Salt is salty. And then he called us light, and light should shine. And then he called us a city on a hill, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
And then in verse 16, he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this morning, I would like for us to go down a road of three ways how to live a saltier, brighter, and bolder life for Christ. That's one of the main points. So you can write that down. It'll be a discussion in your connect group. Three ways how to live a saltier, brighter, and bolder life for Christ. Sounds good? You guys are pretty silent. Sounds good? Great. I needed you to say that for my next point. Great. If you guys all would have said no, it would have ruined the rest of my message. So we'll, we'll get to that. I want us to evaluate something because that point that we just started going down a road in is not good. Okay? And we intentionally went there because I want to show you, just as the beginning, the context and the illustration. We were about to dig in ways how we can be saltier, brighter, and bolder for Christ. And many times these are good intentions, but we just took a really bad step in a very bad direction that felt very good. That looks like a good thing, right? That point feels very good. But I want us to look at where we took a wrong wrong um, step. Look in verse 13 and read through verse 16 just on your own right now and see how that point doesn't line up with verses 13 through 16. And then we're going to break it down. So if you have your Bibles, just take a moment, read through there. It says, you are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. City set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand to give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what's the problem with three ways how to be saltier and brighter and bolder? Well, I want to ask the question... Let's look in the text. Does the text tell us to be saltier? Does the text tell us to be brighter lights? Does the text tell us that we need to be more out in the open like a city on a hill? Does it say that? It doesn't. And many times we take it there. Like, how can I be brighter? How can I be saltier? And when that happens, who has now become the focus of the message this morning? It's no longer about God. It's now about how can I be brighter? How can I be saltier? How can I be bolder? So now we're sitting in church and we think we're going in a good direction and we're listening how I can be improved as a Christian to glorify God and we're no longer about glorifying God. Everybody following me? And it's a very subtle, subtle direction that we do all the time. And what Jesus' point here in these passages that we've gone over is it should be impossible for salt to not be salty. It should be impossible for light not to shine. And it's impossible for a city on a hill to be hidden. Let's look back in verse 13. It says, you are the salt, not be salty. In verse 14, you are the light, not be brighter. And in verse 16, let your light shine. Did he tell us to shine our light? No. He said, let our light shine. And that's completely different. These are all an act of being as a Christian. These are not what we do. These are who we are. And Jesus is saying, if you are not this, then you're probably not in the faith. And so, 
Terry has been preaching through the Beatitudes. And this is Jesus really getting to the heart of the issues. Poor in spirit. What it means to be poor in spirit. Broken. Our need for a Savior. His holiness. Our need for His mercy and grace in our life. Right? And that should transform our life to where we live out what happens in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And so, we don't do good works because we have to. And I have to say, all the songs we sang this morning really hit on this theme. And even, even the, the prayer that Steve prayed for our offering. He, he prayed, and we didn't talk with him about this, but it, he prayed that, God, may we not give to you because we have to, but may we give to you out of an abundance of our heart. And it's the continual theme of the Christian life. And Terry even made a, a tough comment on this last week. And he said, as Christians, we should be reading our Bibles. And then he said, and if you're not reading your Bible and you're not spending time with God, maybe you're not even a Christian. He said, maybe you're not even in the faith and you should examine your, yourself, right? And our thinking is, I'm a Christian. I, I better go read the Word. And so we go home. We're like, I really need to get back to it. Wake up earlier. Go to bed earlier. And again, we've stepped into this mindset of reading our Bible is going to help keep us in the faith. And I do it. We all do it. That's immediately, oh, man, I am behind in my Bible reading. And then we go do that. But Jesus is saying that's not the point. That's not the point. And then sometimes we don't live as salt and light this way most of the time because we don't love him as we should. That's really the root of all of this. We need to love him as we should. And the next question we ask is, how can I love him more? Right? How can I love him more? And then we've already stepped back on a path of, tell me how to love him more so that I can do these things to affirm my faith. And it's still about who? Me, you. And so we can get back on the same road of, of tell me how to love him more. Tell me how to pursue him. And this is the essence of the gospel that we should always be running back to, that we're never going to get away from when we understand the Christian message, the Christian faith. And God knew this. God knew that he had to take us out of the equation. Otherwise, we could always be in it. Well, how can I do that better? Well, how can I love you? Well, how can I pursue you unless this? And God's saying it's not about what we could or could not do. And to illustrate this, I want us to turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, verse 19. This incredible thing, we're going to look at four verses here, right in a row. Where does our love from God come from? Very important. Because if we think it's manufactured inside of us, then we're always going to be on this rat race, trying to love him more and never feeling like we measured up. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, We love because... He first loved us. He first loved us, so now we can love him. Came from him. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 10. And then he says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Turn back to the gospel of John chapter 13. We're going to be in verse 34. 
John 13, verse 34. says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I, God speaking, have loved you. You are also to love one another. We can love him and we can love others only because he gave us love. And many times we begin, I got to do this or how do I love God more? And it comes from him to us to give back to him. That's the incredible thing of the gospel. Romans Chapter 5, this will be the last passage on this topic. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I really want us to get this, so all of you keep turning your pages there. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still hostile to God, the only thing we ever did against him was sin against him. That's all we did. It said, while God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, hostile to God, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more than now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So we can't even love God without him helping us love him. God knew our desires would be to always try to get in the mix to understand how we can do that. And this is where I mess it up. And probably many of you mess it up. We get saved that moment where Christ saves us from the depths of our sin. All we can do, the Bible says, is sin. It says in Romans, no one sought after God. None of us sought after God. That's what the Bible says. In our spirit, we didn't desire him. And he stepped down and loved us and saves us. And the Bible says he justifies us, which means it's a um, court ruling where the judge looks and he sees innocent, justified. And that's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we experience that, that moment when you become a Christian and you understand God has forgiven you of everything. And then you are ecstatic, right? You're excited. You go and tell people, you go and talk about it. You've seen Christians do this. And then after that moment... Where we understand that, we start living our Christian life, taking steps. And this is where we begin to mess up. Justification had nothing to do with me, had everything to do with his love being given. Says he loved us first before we could love him. And then we begin walking out our faith in a process called sanctification, becoming more Christ-like. And now I'm walking this life and all of a sudden I begin to think it actually depends upon me to live a good Christian life. Can you relate this morning? I'm not doing this in my life, or I'm not doing this, or I'm not leading my family good enough, or I'm not spending enough time in the Word, or I'm not praying enough. And we begin to think that it actually depends on us, this Christian life. And it doesn't. Because he did it all through justification. God radically saved you from everything, past, present, and future, 
And that also includes your desire in trying to please him that you're going to fail at. And many times, this is where I really have a struggle. How can God be pleased in me when I know there's a future version of me that's going to be better than today? Right? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but many times I think that God is just kind of putting up with me right now because he's like, give Casey some time and he's going to get there, you know. Theologically, I know that's wrong. I know he's justified me past, present, and all future sins. But I live my life many times thinking God is putting up with me right now until there's a better version of me in the future. I don't know if you can relate to that, but it's simply not true. You're balancing, you're you're putting things on a scale that doesn't even exist. Do you know why the scale doesn't exist? Because Jesus Christ justified us and wiped the scales away and said it has nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with anything you've done except faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the essence of the gospel. And we have to preach that to ourselves every day. That when I wake up, I'm desiring to pursue God. But I understand that in my desire, I can only desire him because he is showing me the love and the grace that allows me to desire him. And that's what scripture continues to reiterate. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is what he's getting from the very beginning of these passages. We were a horse that couldn't even walk in the race, right? We can't even begin to work it out, to work this life out to please God. And that's not a problem for God because he wasn't betting on you. He wasn't betting on any of you. He wasn't betting on me. Who was he betting on? Jesus Christ. And so, Make sure that we understand justification. Man, God has saved us for those who are followers of him. He's justified us completely, past, present, and future. And as we walk this out, you're going to miserably fail. But understand, as you are walking this out in sanctification, I'm going to be farther along in my faith 10 years from now, hopefully, but I'm also going to be 10 years from now in a more understanding of God's love, God's justice, and my sin. So the, the displeasure I feel in my relationship right now with him, the same can be there 10 years from now because I'm going to be so aware of how, how wretched I am, even though I'm going to be more sanctified in that process. And that's why Jesus tried to take us out of the equation. And he said, you can only love me because I first loved you. And that's the essence of this whole gospel message. I want us to turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And on a side note, the gospel, it seems many times in churches, is something that's preached only when you get saved. You get preached the gospel, you hear the gospel, there's the invitation, there's the gospel, people are getting saved, and the Christians who are here are just putting up with it because they want to learn more other stuff, right? That's how many times I lived my life. We should never get over the incredible news the gospel has. Every time we hear it, we should be praising God, God, thank you for saving me. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says, remind them, 
to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. That's what we were, all of us. And then it says, Then the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of any work we've done, but according to what? His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he pours out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by what? His grace, his being, his doing, right? It's by his mercy, by his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus just told us he saved us. It was his mercy. It was his grace. It was him who loved us that we could then love him. And it's important for us to understand he didn't do it with regret. He didn't do it with sadness. He doesn't look upon you and say, you are messed up and I wish you would just start living this Christian life the way I told you to. Right? That's the gospel of understanding that we should be repentant when we do sins. The Bible says don't have a license to go sin because God's grace abounds. It says when we understand what he's done for us, we are going to be salt. We are going to shine. We are going to be a city on a hill. That's what it's supposed to look like. And I know that it's a hard concept for us to grasp. It says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. He's not calling us to three steps to evangelize better or three ways how to live bolder for Christ. He's saying, as a Christian, when you understand his love for you, when you understand your sin and how much it costs Jesus to die for you so that you can be saved, when you understand that, your life is going to be radically different. You're going to live as salt. You are going to be preserving people along the way. And you are going to have light that's not something you have to flick on and off. It's just going to shine all the time. That's what it means to be a Christian that Jesus is telling us to do this morning. So instead of giving you three to-do list items, which many times we want to hear, and if we would have heard it this morning, we probably all would have said, that sounds good, I'm going to go do it. But that's not what Jesus is getting at. I want to give three illustrations of what happens when you begin to understand and soak in the depths of God's love and his grace in your life. This overwhelming love from God. Three things, three illustrations for us. The first is, and this is nothing to do with me or my wife or anybody else. It's God's working in us and through us by his love and his grace. And I share this as an encouragement and an illustration to encourage the church. Um, there's some people from the congregation who have blessed us with helping us destroy our old kitchen and give us a new kitchen. What a blessing it is. We're doing it before the baby comes. Um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be done before the baby comes. But they, they've gone and they said, we want to bless you. We want to give you this. So we're overwhelmed by this. 
in the meantime, uh, two weeks before then, I was driving out to Terry's house and I saw in his neighborhood a brand new grill. Driving down the road, some people throw away amazing things. So a brand new grill, and I'm like, look at that grill, it's like brand new. So I stopped and got it, put it in the back of the car, had it in the garage, anticipating the savory moments of meat that I would soon eat on the grill that I haven't got to use yet. You know that excitement when you get something new you haven't used yet? Maybe for the men about grilling. Um, And one of the workers who was working on our kitchen, not from the church, from the world, walking by our garage, looked in the garage and saw the grill. And he asked my wife and he said, hey, how do you guys like that grill? I'm thinking of getting one. And my wife said, oh, we haven't even used it yet. And then he went inside. um, And another member of our congregation the day before had talked with this individual and and knew that they were, you know, in need and and, um, trying to find work and doing these things. And so I come outside about that time after my wife and him had this conversation. And we're about to get in the car. and, And my wife says, you know, I just had this conversation and I really feel... The spirit saying to give him the grill, and I'm like, no, you're not, you're not hearing the spirits. Like, we just haven't eaten lunch yet, you know. Um, and there's that moment of my grill, right? Excited about my grill, even though it was free, even though I'm getting a brand new kitchen that people are blessing us with, right? This is how selfish and sinful we are. We still struggle with like little things, and. Even though I've been given salvation freely, you know, I have this grill and she says that and there's this brief moment of that and then I say, you're right. So God used somebody in our church to bless us with a kitchen who one of the workers there saw this grill that we got for free, had a conversation with my wife. My wife felt led by the spirit and then shared it. There's a lot of steps of obedience here is what I want us to see. She shared it with me and then I had a choice. Do I give it or not give it? God's using so many people. So we called him out and we said, hey, we just want to share with you. God has been so gracious to us. God has given us so much. He's been so loving to us. We just, we want to bless you with this grill. We heard you wanted to get one. We just want to give it to you. And the man looked at us and he said, really? You just want to give it to me? Like he's never experienced that. And we said, God has just blessed us, and we want to be a blessing to you. And we gave him this grill, and he said, you know, you could just tell the walls were all down, and he just began to share about how God has been pursuing him. God has been showing his love to this man. He said, a week ago, somebody came up to me, and he said, I didn't, I didn't have the money to get home. I told my kids it was fine. I didn't have the money to get home. And I didn't know what I was going to do that day. I didn't get paid for a couple other days. I didn't have the gas money to get home. And he said, somebody came up to him and gave him $80 and said, I just feel God telling me to give you this. And he said, I'll pay you back. And he said, don't, I I think God's just telling me to give you this. A week before this. He said he ran home after then, frantically searched his house for his Bible and found it and started reading it. That's how God shows us his love. And then a week later, we give him a grill and say, this is from God. We just want to bless you. And we had a conversation that led into you know, the gospel. We were able to share the gospel with him of why, why we do this, why it's such a blessing about death, burial, resurrection, our sin. 
And he asked me, it's so encouraging. He said, I, I do believe these things. Does that mean I'm saved? You know, we're able to share through that. And now the person who has helped us get this kitchen is now going to be going through one-to-one discipleship with this man. And so, praise God. So that's just one story of, man, God has so richly blessed us. That's what it means to be salt and light. It wasn't a matter of doing. It was a matter of just being, that God has so richly blessed us, understanding what he's done. Another one, we recently um, went to a conference. It was a pastor friend of mine and, and myself and a member from the church. And we went to a conference and we were at this conference. It was just all about God's love and grace. And we've been sitting in the conference singing of his love, singing praises to him, reading his word about how much he loves us. And we went, we were just soaking in the pool, and there was two girls in the pool. And it was about time to go to the next session, but I said, we have to talk with them. You know, it wasn't this, I really want to talk with them, but I don't. It was, we have to talk with them about what God has done for us, the grace he's given us. And so we just said, all right, let's go do it. So we went over there and sat in the jacuzzi, started talking to them. It turns out that they were two lesbians who were meeting at the hotel. They lived in the town, but they went to the hotel basically to get away from everybody else. The parents of one of them were both pastors at a church. And the, the message they heard was completely opposite of this growing up. It's about doing, 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 doing. You have to live this way. You have to live this way. Suppressing all these things, not understanding God's grace. So we were able to talk and share the gospel with these two women who are there, who the Bible says is enslaved to their sin. Enslaved. Just like we all are enslaved. And to be able to share with them the gospel that came to redeem them. That's what it means to live out as salt and light. It wasn't a matter of doing. It was a matter of just being and allowing him to flow through us. And the last illustration, um, the last night while we were there, we went out to dinner. We got out late. It was 9.30, 10 o'clock. We couldn't find any places open. The only place that was open was IHOP. So we went into IHOP and sat down, and uh, our waiter came up to us. We got our food, and, and we just simply asked, is there anything we could pray for you for? We just want to pray for you. And um, in that moment, she looked at us, and you could tell something happened. And she said, yeah, there is. Um, You can pray for my struggle with overcoming addiction and my recovery. And to share that at a dinner table, you know, why we're there. And and we just told her we would. And we we prayed for her. She came back, and she was really grateful and thankful. Um, But we talked with her a little bit. Because the conference we were at has a recovery center, Biblical Counseling Recovery Center. So we were able to encourage her there. But not to brag on us, but just to brag on God who set this meeting up. We ended up leaving a gospel track. We left way more um, than what most people would have. So she, we left. She had the check paid for, double the check in, in um, what's it called? Tips, thank you. Double, double the, the check in tips plus extra money that we had put in this gospel track. And we said, we just want to bless you. We're praying for your recovery. And we gave her the place and uh, some contact information. And it just looked like Christmas on her face where she, she said, thank you guys so much. And she started, as we left, 
you know, you could look in the window. She started showing people, look at what these people gave, and they prayed for me. And she's stuck on the glass as we're leaving because of her thankfulness. And all of it was pointed back to God's goodness of what it means to be salt and what it means to be light. This is what it means as we go through the Beatitudes that God changes us. We need to be thankful that He loved us so much that He was willing to step down to die, endure the wrath of God because of our sins. Jesus Christ took it. When we understand that concept, how we worship changes, how we live our life changes, how we interact with people changes, how we interact with our family changes. And so I want to pray, but I want us to leave this morning praising Him. I want us to sing one last song of praise to Him for what He has done in our lives. And so I hope this was a blessing to you this morning. God is moving, and let's continue to be faithful to listening to His voice. Let's pray. God, we praise You for who You are. God, what a blessing it is that You have saved us. It is finished, as Your Word says. God, help us to believe and understand that our past, present, and future sins are forgiven, and even in our struggles of living for you. God, we thank you that it doesn't depend on us. God, thank you that it's not just you putting up with, putting up with us until we get better. God, when you see us, you see the blood of Jesus Christ. You see perfection. And it's hard for me to understand that. But God, help me to believe that. That's the essence of the gospel. God, help us to praise you today. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.